Amen. Thank you, Neil. If you are a child, second grade and younger, and your parents so desire, uh, you can be dismissed with Miss Kelly for kids' worship, and we will pray that you have a good time there and learn more about Jesus, and we'll miss you while you're gone and look forward to you joining us again during the last song. Okay, well then we won't see you. We'll just pick you up. Everybody else, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. And the Apostle Peter wrote this letter to encourage Christians living under the rule of the Roman Empire in a region that we now know today as Turkey. Uh, they needed encouragement because as they were living out their identity in Christ, as chosen by God, as children of God, as the church for God, the differences in their priorities and their choices and their allegiances and their lifestyles, the differences were becoming obvious. And they were beginning to suffer relationally. And they were beginning to suffer socially. And they were beginning to suffer politically and economically. And Peter reminds them in this letter of the real hope of the gospel. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ. He reminds them that they are exiles and sojourners in this world, but also that they are agents and ambassadors. They were not there to just hold on until Jesus returned. He left them with an identity of hope, and he left them with a mission of hope. And of course, identity drives mission. And because we have real hope in Jesus, we can live for Jesus and seek to lead others to Jesus. Like them, we are not here to hold on until Jesus returns. We are agents and ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and we not only have an identity of hope, we have a mission of hope. And our mission is connecting people with the real hope of the gospel. And last week we saw that we are blessed in order that we might be a blessing to others, even in our suffering. And Peter told these believers in Asia Minor that their suffering for Christ was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for them to bless one another. It was an opportunity for them to bless their enemies. And it was an opportunity for them to bless others with the real hope of the gospel. And one way we are being equipped to bless others with the gospel is through Common Evangelism, our current GROW seminar. And again, I'll just ask you to, to make it a priority to come back at 4.30 today or at least to log on and be a part of our final session as he has helped us be trained uh, to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And I've found it really helpful. And sharing the hope of the gospel with our words is one essential part of our mission. That's what common evangelism is about, sharing the hope of the gospel with our words. But living lives that are transformed by the real hope of the gospel is another essential part of our mission. Missionary Leslie Newbegin wrote this, the task of ministry is to lead the congregation as a whole, to claim its whole public life as well as the personal lives of its people for God's rule. The task of ministry is to lead the congregation as a whole to claim its whole public life, 
Everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that is visible, and our personal lives, everything that is not seen for God's rule. Jesus is king. And we who have been born again to a living hope are citizens of his kingdom living in another kingdom. And our way of life must testify to our true citizenship. We are blessed to be a blessing. And Peter teaches us in this passage that part of our mission is stewarding God's blessings well. Part of our mission is stewarding God's blessings well. Stewarding or stewardship means responsible care for something that has been entrusted to us. All of God's blessings, all of God's blessings are a stewardship. Your life, everything that you are, everything that you have belongs first, not to you, but to God. And you are called to to steward every blessing of God for his glory and for the blessing of others. So let's look together at 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11, and ask you if you're able to please stand in honor of God's word. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you." but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins." Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good, what? As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said... Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's ask the Lord for his help this morning. Father, we thank you uh, that you have given to your people at Back Creek this word this morning. And I pray that you would teach us by it. Uh, Lord, that we would believe what your word says, that we would love what your word says, that we would be challenged by it and exhorted through it, that we would be transformed by your spirit, working together with your word so that we might be good stewards of all that you have entrusted to us. Lord, you have blessed us so richly. Make us a blessing to one another and to our neighbors and to our enemies and to the nations. Oh Lord, please help us to see everything that is in our hands as from you to be used for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
So on Friday, we had the opportunity to uh, head over to Truist Field and uh, to watch part of the ACC baseball tournament. Uh, and my three youngest children are all playing ball for the first time. Ella and Noah Cater playing softball and Isaac is playing t-ball. And so it was fun to see them fully engaged in the game and asking questions about what was going on in the game. In one inning, uh, the team that we cheer for had runners on first and second with nobody out. And so the batter squares around to bunt. And my children have never seen this before because it's not something you do at their level of ball. And so uh, my two girls were like, what is he doing? I said, well, he's, he's bunting. And I got to explain that there are, are lots of blessings that come with being on a team. You get a, a community of people that you're going to work together with. You get a cool uniform. And these particular people that we were watching, some of them are getting to go to college for free by playing a game. There's a lot of blessings uh, when, you're on a, when you're on a team, but there are also expectations and responsibilities. You're trusted to steward every opportunity you have, not for your own good, but for the good of the team. So a bunt in this situation, I told them, is a sacrifice where you lay down your chance to get a hit and be the hero. You sacrifice yourself and you get out so your teammates can move up. And the next player has a chance to be the hero. Now, our guy laid down a perfect bunt, and Miami made an error, so we had bases loaded, nobody out, which was great. Um, you've been given the blessing of an at-bat, and you steward that blessing for the blessing of your team and for the mission of winning the game. In the same way, we have a team mission at Back Creek Church. We have a team mission, and that mission is connecting people with the hope of the gospel. It is why we exist. It is why we are here. We are not here merely to be blessed, but to be a blessing for the sake of Christ and his gospel. And each one of us has been blessed for the blessing of one another, for our neighbors, for our enemies, and for the nations. And here, Peter looks at the blessings that God has given to his people, and he calls us to steward these blessings with hope. So first, he tells us that we are called to steward ourselves. We're called to steward ourselves, and we see that in verses 1 through 8, and Peter addresses the different part of ourselves as human beings, and he starts with the mind in verses 1 and 2. The apostle calls us to a a different way of thinking. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Remember when we talked about we're fighting a war on two fronts? One is an external front where we receive opposition to our mission from outside, but we also are fighting on an internal front where we are experiencing conflict from inside, from the flesh. And Peter says that we are to arm ourselves to fight with the same way of thinking as Christ. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Here's the idea. In his suffering once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God, Jesus delivered us forever from the penalty of sin. 
But he, and we focus a lot on that, that Jesus has taken away the penalty for our sin. And we should think a lot about that. We should preach that to ourselves. We should celebrate that every day and every time we gather together. But Jesus has not only delivered us from the penalty of sin in his work on the cross and resurrection, Jesus has delivered us from the power of sin as well. When we were dead in sin, we could not steward our blessings for God. Instead, we offered them up for our will and for our purpose and for ourselves. But because on the cross in his death, Jesus defeated sin and delivered us from its penalty and its power, we have been born again to a living hope through his resurrection from the dead. Peter is telling us to arm our minds with the identity of hope that we have been given in Christ so that we do not live any longer for ourselves and the desires of our old mind and the passions of the flesh, but for the will of God. To steward our minds by remembering and reminding ourselves that in Christ we are dead to sin and alive to God. What are the human passions of your mind that seek to lie to you about who you are? that make war against your soul? Is it self-centeredness? Are you prone to filter everything through how it affects you and your situation, your desires, your will for your life? Is it envy? Are you prone to look at the blessings that God has given to other people and want them for yourself? Is it pride? Are you prone to comparative thinking and finding ways that you are better than other people? Is it sexual immorality? Are you prone to thinking of others, whether in real life or on a screen, as objects to be used for your own pleasure? Is it anger? Are you prone to dwelling on the perceived injustices and slights in your life and seethe about them and let them consume your minds? Is it independence and freedom? Are you prone to seeing your life and your blessings and your opportunities not as a stewardship for God, but as your rights to be used as you please and not yielding control to anyone, including God? In uh, one of my favorite holiday movies, Home Alone, uh, Kevin McAllister obviously is left home alone by his parents when they go on a Christmas vacation to Paris. Uh, and Kevin is uh, at first having a blast, but then he realizes that, uh, you know, it's not so easy being on your own. And he begins to, to see that he needs to take responsibility for himself. So he does things like go to the store and he gets uh, fabric softener and toothpaste and um, he goes home and he begins to do the laundry. But here's the problem. Every time he goes to the basement where the washer and dryer are located, there's the furnace. And the furnace looks intimidating, and the furnace makes a loud sound. So on his first attempt, he imagines in his mind the furnace being a scary monster, and he gets scared, and he leaves. The next time, as he's growing in confidence in who he is and in his responsibility, he heads down to start the laundry again. And again, in his imagination, the furnace becomes a monster, but he reminds himself, it's only in my imagination. Then he goes, shut up. And it shuts down immediately. In the same way, 
We have been delivered by Christ through the power of sin. So when the passions of the flesh make war on our mind and we believe that we cannot escape temptation, we need to remember the gospel and say, shut up. I am new in Christ. The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And one way we steward our minds and fight against sin in our minds is to arm ourselves with Scripture. I just want to offer uh, two that would be easy to memorize for you. The first is Galatians 2.20. Paul says there, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You have been born again to a living hope. You have died and risen again in Christ, and you are no longer subject to the power of sin and temptation. Amen? Also, Romans 6, 10 and 11. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, in Christ Jesus. In our minds, we need to constantly be saying in moments of temptation when the passions of the flesh make war against our mind and lie to us about who we are. No, 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 no. I've been born again to a living hope. I am alive to God and I am dead to sin. And Jesus has once and for all delivered me from the power and the penalty of sin. And stewarding ourselves, we have to steward our minds. We're also called to steward our bodies. And we see that in verses 3 through 7. Peter says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. If our bodies belong to us, and we can do whatever we want with them, we can do what feels good to us, even if it means a flood of debauchery. But our bodies do not belong to us. Who created our bodies? You can answer. Who created our bodies? God. And not only that, but those of us who are in Christ by faith are told by the Apostle Paul that our bodies were bought with the price of Christ's body broken on the tree. So we are to honor God with our bodies, whether by life or by death. Specifically addressed in this text. Our substances and sexuality and situations. The New Testament tells us that a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So we're to steward our bodies by not giving them over to substances that compromise our self-control, to situations that might compromise our integrity, including sexual situations that might compromise our integrity. Now, Scripture presents both alcoholic beverages like wine and uh, sex as good blessings from God. Yet, each is also presented as having its right place where God is honored through them. Alcohol must not be used to excess because drunkenness compromises our self-control. It is not good stewardship to get drunk on alcohol. Sex belongs in the covenant relationship between one husband and one wife. And we are not to give our bodies over to any other expression of sexuality. 
And we ought to take care not to put ourselves in situations where temptation to sin with our bodies is overwhelming. If you cannot drink in moderation, if you struggle to drink in moderation, steward your body by abstaining from alcohol. If the internet presents you with constant temptation, don't have access to it when you're alone. And ask for accountability when you do have to have access to it. If you're in a serious romantic relationship, don't live together. If you have an unhealthy relationship with food or with your body image, please seek help for those things. This is not about legalism. It's not about adding rules to God's word. It's about honoring God with your body by stewarding it wisely. You have been crucified and risen with Christ, and you are free from the wants of your old way of life. And stewarding your body, Peter says, is going to be noticed by those around you who don't. One of the ways that our priorities and our values and our allegiances are different from those around us is the way that we steward our bodies. The way that we care for this temple of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says they'll be surprised when you don't want to do what they do because it feels good. And they will even malign you or insult you for it. But he also says that they will have to give an answer to God for how they stewarded their bodies. And so will we. In verse 6, Peter presents hope for those who have died in Christ. The gospel was preached to them so that when they faced judgment, because Scripture tells us it is appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment, every single person who's ever lived will die once and then face judgment before God, that they, will be, that they are held accountable for how they stewarded their bodies. But those who have heard the gospel and responded to it in faith do not receive the condemnation that they deserve. Instead, they receive eternal life with God. In verse 7, Peter reminds us that Jesus could return at any moment. Brothers and sisters, that is a good word for us to heed. We are not alarmists who are constantly looking at the newspaper and the television and saying, oh no, I think the end of the world is coming. We are a people who are ready to welcome our returning and victorious King. We eagerly anticipate it. We aren't afraid of it. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Make all things right. Wipe away every tear from our eyes. And the places where we don't long for that, we are impoverished in our understanding of what it means when he is going to come back because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The things that you think you must see or accomplish in this life will pale in comparison to eternity with the only treasure in all the universe. Jesus could return at any moment. Therefore, the end of all things is at hand. And so we are to steward our bodies self-controlled and our minds sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. For the sake of our prayers. Why? So that our communion with God, which we do not experience fully in this age, but will experience fully when Jesus returns in the resurrection, so that our communion with God will be the blessing and joy of our lives here and now. I just want to note that none of us are going to experience perfect communion with God in this life. Even the man who wrote this letter and encouraged people to steward their bodies and their minds so that their prayers would not be hindered 
when the Lord Jesus himself took him to the garden of Gethsemane on the night before the cross, he said to Peter and his disciples, watch and pray. I'm going to go pray. And so Jesus goes to pray to the Father to, if it possible, take the cup away from him, to pray for the unity of his people and the blessing of the world through their testimony about his life and death and resurrection. And when Jesus comes back to his disciples, including Peter, what's happened? They're asleep. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, remembering not his success, but his failure to steward his blessings for the sake of the kingdom, tells us that we're to steward our bodies and our minds well for the glory of Jesus, knowing that we too will fail. And that when we do, we can find forgiveness and righteousness in Christ. We're called to steward ourselves, our minds, our bodies, and our hearts. Verse 8, above all, so most importantly, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Stewardship is a community project, not just an individual project. And the greatest tool that we have in stewardship is genuine love for one another. And the most important time for us to keep on loving one another earnestly is not when our stewardship is successful, but when we fail. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. So Back Creek Church needs to be a place where not when people are especially successful in their stewardship of their, uh, of their bodies and of their minds and of their hearts, but when they fail, we are a people who remind them of our love for them, of Christ's love for them, and of the real hope of the gospel. We are a place for sinners. Does the world see in the church? Does our community see in this church a group of people devoting their minds and their bodies to Christ to the degree that they're surprised? And above all, do they see a group of people whose heart disposition toward one another is a love that covers a multitude of sins? We are a multitude of sinners. We fail to steward our minds and our bodies and our hearts well on a daily basis. But you know, no matter how spectacularly you have failed, that you are loved. You are loved by Jesus. You are loved by us. And if we have failed to show you how loved you are, I want to, as your pastor, apologize. I am sorry. Please forgive us and please hang with us. Love us and let your love in Christ cover our multitude of sins so that we might grow in mutual stewardship together. We're called to steward ourselves, mind, body, and heart. We're also called to steward our stuff. We're called to steward ourselves. We're called to steward our stuff. We see that in verse 9. Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. If we're going to have genuine love for one another, what does that look like? Love in action in the body of Christ looks like selfless hospitality. Love in action looks like hospitality. It looks like sharing what we have and extending warm welcome to each other. This was especially important for believers who are beginning to be pushed out and marginalized by people in their own families, by people, by their neighbors. They needed each other to have a, a safe place, to have deep connection. And it's important for us 
as a display of Christian love to show hospitality to one another. Let me just ask you, how have you in the last month showed hospitality to your fellow believers here at Back Creek? I know it's a weird time with COVID. Praise God, we're exiting and emerging from this thing. Thanks be to God. Please keep praying for India and Brazil and places that are hard hit still. But how, how have you served others with hospitality? How have you stewarded what God has blessed you through hospitality toward others? How will you, in the next month, make a plan? Today, as you sit uh, with your spouse, or if you don't have a spouse, if you sit by yourself or with your roommate, make a plan for how you're going to extend a warm welcome to your brothers and or sisters in Christ this coming month. It's important for us to do this as a display of Christian love. It's a practical way that we can wrap the towel around our waist and wash each other's feet. It's also important for preparation. Marginalization of Christians may come in our lifetimes, or it may not, but we need to be prepared either way. That means we need to have deep connection and constantly be sharing and showing hospitality to one another. And sometimes hospitality can be hard. The Lord knows that. The Lord sees how stressed we get when people are coming to our house, and we have to make it look like we don't actually live there. He hears us sniping at one another because the house isn't ready and the food isn't ready and people are on the way. The Lord knows that hospitality is hard. And that's why he says, show hospitality without grumbling. We are commanded to show hospitality without grumbling because it shows that we realize that our stuff is not our stuff. That all of our stuff is a blessing from God that we are to steward for the blessing of others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we realize that our stuff is not our stuff, what is there to grumble about? It's there to be shared. I want my kids to learn to share their stuff without grumbling. And usually, I'll be honest, they are really good about that. But sometimes, sometimes I give something to my child and they love playing with that thing. And when another child wants to also play with that thing, they say, no, mine. And my tact often is to say to the child who does not want to share Who gave you that? Well, you did. That's right. And you know what I want you to do with it? (laughs) Share it with your sister. There may be grumbling, but I see growth in their ability to share with one another because what they're learning is that their stuff isn't their stuff. It's been given to them so that they can steward it for the good of others. So it is with us. We're to steward ourselves. We're to steward our stuff. And lastly, we're called to steward our service. And we see that in verses 10 and 11. In verse 10, Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
God's grace is varied and it is infinite. God has blessed us with gifts and blessings in incredible ways as a church. If we sat here and began to make a list of all the ways that God has blessed all of the individuals and families and groups in this church, we would never stop writing. And there were two main parts to Jesus' earthly ministry. There was service through word, declaring the truth of the gospel and inviting people to new life in him. That was the, the message part of his ministry. But there was also a works part of his ministry, providing for people's material and physical needs. So you had message and you had miracles. You had word and you had works. And the church is a continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth. I love how uh, Acts chapter 1 begins. The story of the church begins with, in my former book, Theophilus, the person to whom Luke is writing, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, Jesus is only present for the very first part of the first chapter of the book of Acts. And then he ascends to the Father's right hand. And yet Acts is about all, and in Luke, the gospel is all about Jesus and what he began to do and teach. The implication being that Jesus is still active as king as he rules and reigns through his church on earth. And we are a continuation of Jesus's ministry. So we also serve through word and works. So all of God's varied grace, all of God's blessings to us kind of break down into two major categories. And we can serve other people and steward our blessings and our gifts well through word or through works. We see how these emphases are reflected in how we're to serve one another. He addresses word gifts and he says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. We are called to speak truth to one another in love, to speak affection and encouragement to one another. I want y'all to know that there is nobody on earth who is over-encouraged. Nobody. Everybody needs encouragement. We are to provide that for one another. It's an important part of stewarding the word gifts that God has given to us. Some of us are especially gifted in the word. To our, we are to teach and to admonish one another with God's word and relying on God's spirit. But every time we speak to one another, not only when we're teaching from God's word, every time we speak to one another, we're to do it in reliance on God's spirit so that what comes out of our mouths is useful for the building up of God. God's people. It's good stewardship of our words. And work gifts. We're to serve one another practically, to look after each other, to provide for material and physical needs, to share what we have, to, to bring others with you as you serve in the community, all relying on the strength that God supplies. If you teach or to teach, dependent on God so that the words that come out of your mouth are, are like oracles of God. If you're to serve, you're to serve only in the strength that God provides, not in the strength of your flesh. You realize so many times we try to honor God with flesh-driven effort instead of grace-driven effort, and there's no eternal value, no eternal value in doing things in the flesh. We need to rely on the strength that only God can provide to steward our works well. We're called to steward our service. Brothers and sisters, we've been blessed so that we might be a blessing. And one crucial way that we bless one another, we bless our neighbors, we bless our enemies, and we bless the nations 
is by stewarding what God has entrusted to us. To steward ourselves, mind, body, and heart. To steward our stuff by showing hospitality without grumbling and sharing what we have. And we're called to steward our service in both word and works. Why? Verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the stewardship that you have entrusted to us. We're not worthy of being entrusted with minds or bodies or hearts. Lord, we're not worthy. We don't deserve all the stuff that you have poured out into our lives. Lord, we are not worthy to serve as the least of servants in your kingdom. And yet, in your great love for us, in and through Christ, you have qualified us to an inheritance from you. You have called us your children. You have covered us in Christ's blood. You have indwelled us, Holy Spirit. You are empowering us now to be free from the power of sin so that we might steward well all of your good blessings. Lord, make us good stewards. Help us to truly see that nothing we are, nothing we have belongs only to us, but first to you, that we might steward everything that we have, that we might leverage everything that we are for this mission that you have given us of connecting others with the hope of the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word once more in song.